Well, good morning. Oh, come on. You guys do better than that. Good morning. Man, I'm so glad to see you this morning. This is These are my people here. I mean, so you guys, I'm excited to see you this morning. I was over at the other campus for a little bit today, and so I was thrilled to get back over here. And so we're so glad you're here today. And today we're going to do something. We're going to wrap up this series when you have something more. And the, the thing about it is, is I thought about this series when you have something more. I've been thinking about it in terms of, you know, this series really has been a series that's been challenging for most of us, hopefully. Because there's many of us in the room today that would say that we have something more. That we truly have surrendered our lives to Christ and that we know that we follow him and he's the Lord and the Savior of our life. Amen? Amen? Some of you would say that. And here's the thing, you know, when we think about this series, it's been challenging because if we say that Christ is our Savior, we believe that, we bought into that, it should be reflected in how we live. And so the very first few weeks we talked about, if we say that we have something more, this is what our lives should look like. And it's so important for us as believers to realize that if we say we follow Christ, that there should be evidence of that in how we live. Amen? Because I said this the very first week, and I'm going to say it again. The reason that's important is because there's a lost world watching. There's a lost world waiting. But most importantly, there's a lost world wanting people to be authentic. And if you say you're a follower of Christ, there should be evidence in our life. And then last week, we talked about another reason I love this series is because not only has it been challenging for us, but it's also been hopeful for us. Because last week, we talked about how we have something that a lost world does not have. What is that? Hope. We have hope. Everybody say hope. hope. We have hope. We have hope that one day our king is coming back for us. We have hope that one day there's going to be a shout, a trumpet sound, and the voice of an archangel, and we will see Jesus. He will come for us, and we will see him face to face, and we will spend forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever with him in eternity. Is that good news or what? Man, it's good news. And so for me, I don't know about you, but I love living in the good news. I love celebrating that good news. I love just pondering the good news. But here's the thing. Should we just stay there? Should we just stay in the fact? I mean, when Jesus took the three disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration and they got up there and they saw Jesus like one day we will see Jesus, they were all like, hey, let's throw up some tents and stay put. And Jesus says, no, 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 we got, we've got work to be done. Let's get off the mountain. And here's the point. While it's important for us to celebrate the fact that Jesus is coming again, it's also important for us to ask a very important question. Here it is. How do we live in the meantime? If we're looking for the return of Christ and we're waiting for that and we're excited about that, how are we to live in the meantime? How are we to live in light of the Lord's return? And I think that is really the heartbeat of what Paul's trying to communicate in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, turn there with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Now, the first, I'm going to give you the very first challenge because I see three challenges in the passage I want us to kind of grab today. Here's the first one. I think Paul challenges the church of Thessalonica to live with urgency, to live with urgency. Now, here's what I mean. If we know that Jesus is coming in, which he is, does that give us an excuse and a right to sit on our hands and do nothing? Does that give us a right to go to the fields and lay on our back and just cry out, come, Lord Jesus, come? Is that what we're supposed to do? Absolutely not. And so I think the heartbeat of what Paul's communicating is that we need to live with urgency. Look what he says in verse 1 through 6. It says this. Now, concerning the times... And the seasons, brothers, you have no need or anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. 
While people are saying peace and security, sudden destruction will come upon them. As labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers. For the day of surprise won't surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Now there's two phrases here that imply urgency. The first one is to keep awake and to be sober. Now I know you look at those and you go, okay, I don't really necessarily see urgency in that. Well, the phrase keep awake means to be alert in the Greek language. It means to be ready, to be watchful, right? So he says, listen, hey, Jesus coming again one day. I know we're all excited about that, but at the end of the day, here's how I want you to live your life. I want you to live with urgency, and I want you to be on watch. I want you to be ready. I want you to be alert to the things around you. And then he says, be sober. That word sober literally translates have a collected spirit, meaning this, be right-minded, be right-focused, and have the right priorities. That's really what it means. That as believers, to be sober is to be focused on the right stuff. Can we agree that sometimes we let things dilute our minds and we get focused on anything but the most important thing? Can we say that? Amen? Amen. Some of you, that's where we find ourselves, right? And he says, listen, I want you to be sober. I want you to be focused on the right priorities. Well, here's the question. What is the right priority as a believer? What is the most important priority that any believer has? It's simple, to share the good news of Jesus. That's it. To fulfill the great commission, to go, and as we go, to make disciples, to teach them. I mean, listen, the greatest responsibility, all of us in the room who call ourselves Jesus followers, our greatest responsibility is to share that message of hope with other people. I mean, think about it. If you thought about your life and you thought about that if I died today and I didn't know Christ, I would, I would, I would go to a place called hell and spend eternal separation. But Jesus came into my life. He changed me. He saved me. He radically saved me. And now I have a hope in heaven. Why would we not want to share that with other people? Why would we not want to do that? Don't you? I mean, I remember when my oldest, James, was born. He was a C-section, and so Sonny doesn't remember any of it. But anyway, I was in the room there with her, and they pulled James out, and, and I remember um, taking these Polaroid pictures. You remember, anybody remember Polaroid cameras? Yeah, okay, great. I just dated myself. We'd come out, and we would take these Polaroid pictures, and, and uh, that night, James was born on December 31st, at 11.52 p.m. He was like a last-minute late baby of that year, which is great tax deduction, by the way. So anyway, uh, and I remember taking those Polaroid pictures because that night as a youth pastor, I'd planned to lock in. And so Sonny said, just go. And I took those pictures because I could not wait to show them my new baby boy. I couldn't wait. I was showing all teenagers, even the ones that don't give a rip. I mean, I'm making them look at my son, look at my baby. Well, you know, he's kind of blue and he's kind of crinchly face and it's kind of yucky. But isn't he beautiful? I mean, I just could not wait to share. Listen, should I not be more excited to share about the salvation we can have and I have in Christ than my baby boy? Yeah, because that is a message that changes eternity for somebody. He says, I want you to be sober, man. I want, you, I want you to be alert, and I want you to be ready, and I want you to be focused on the right things. And then Paul tells us why we need to be urgent. And I'm going to go back and read it. You can read it in a minute, verse 2 and 3. He tells us because he says stuff like this. The day of the Lord is coming. Now, here's what we need to know. There was a first coming of Christ when he came as a baby in a manger to seek and to save that which is lost. But the second coming of Christ is coming as a righteous judge. He's not coming to seek and save that which is lost. He's coming to settle the score. He's coming to make all things right by him. 
And Paul says, there's a day that's coming, the day of the Lord's coming, and it's going to be a day of judgment. And for those who don't know Christ, it's going to come like a thief in the night, meaning it's going to come unexpected. They're not going to know it. In fact, he says, they're going to say peace and safety and security, but immediate destruction's coming, like a thief in the night. And when he comes, it says he's going to bring destruction with them. He's not talking about God blowing people up. He's talking about eternal separation. That's the destruction that waits those who don't know Christ, is eternal separation. You know how long eternity is? Can't imagine it, can we? I mean, even in our best thoughts, we can't picture how long that is. Never an end. Right? And he says here, I want you guys to realize That's why we're urgent. There's a day coming when I'm going to settle the score. It's going to catch those who don't know me. It's going to catch them totally off guard, and there's going to be destruction. There's going to be eternal separation that happens there. But here's the worst part, he says, and there will be no escape, meaning there are no second chances in that moment. Now, I've said this before, but I want to say it again. I believe with all my heart there will be no unbelievers in hell. They will just have believed too late. Because there'll come a moment when they realize he was king, he is king, and I missed it. And in that moment when he comes, and that day of judgment like a thief in the night, and when he brings that, that, that time of judgment and destruction, there is no second chance. And now here's why I say that. Because as a body, of a, as a church, as people who love the Lord, shouldn't we want those people that that's going to be their future? Shouldn't we want them to hear the good news of Christ? Shouldn't we? Come on. Should we want them to hear that? Yeah. Whose responsibility is it? It's ours, right? Because the thing is, we, we don't live in darkness. We're not children of darkness. We see the pain and agony that day is going to bring. We see the need that people have for Christ. We must be urgent to share the message. We have to be on watch. We have to be sober. We have to be alert. We have to have the right priorities. And then Paul, knowing who we are, says, you know what? I know there's some times in life when sometimes we get off track. We get off kelter. There's some times in life where we lose our focus. So he tells them how to maintain their focus. Look with me in verse 8 through 10. He says, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober. There's that word again. Having put on the, helm, the, the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of salvation, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live for him. Now he says, listen, here's how you maintain the right focus. He says, you've already done it, but I want you to keep doing it. It's this. I want you to put on the breastplate of faith and love. Now, what does a breastplate for a Roman soldier protect? Come on, come on. What does it protect? The most vital organ he has is heart. So what is Paul trying to say? That the world has a lot of stuff to throw at you. And Proverbs 4.23 is right. That above all else, we are to guard our heart for it's the wellspring of life. In our heart is where faith happens. In our heart is where conviction happens. In our heart is where urgency happens. And he says, if you will protect that, if you will guard your heart, you'll have a tenderness to share the gospel. So put that breastplate on. And this is put on the helmet of salvation. Now, what does the helmet protect? It protects your mind, right? That's why Paul says in Romans 12, no longer conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because listen, and you all know this, when you go out into the world and you turn on the television, is the world bombard things in your life that's trying to wreck your mind? It is. 
And what Paul is saying is, I don't want you to buy in to the philosophies, and I don't want you to buy into the ideologies of the world. And what I don't want you to buy into that stuff. I only want you to buy into the truth. Don't buy into that world, because if you will put on this helmet, and you will guard your mind, and not buy the world's philosophies, you will, you will guarantee that you will not lose the focus that I want you to have. So Paul says, I want you to live with a great sense of urgency. Why? Because there are people, when Jesus comes again, it's not going to be a glorious moment. And it's our responsibility to share the gospel of Christ. And when you have moments where you feel like you're getting distracted, make sure you're guarding your heart. Make sure you're protecting your mind so that you will maintain a sensitivity to share and focus on sharing the gospel. Then here, let me give you the second challenge. He says this, live to build one another up. Look with me in verse 11. He says this, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. He says, I want you to build each other up. I don't want you to tear each other down. Now, it's funny to me, it's interesting to me that Paul shifts gears here. He moves from, as a church, let's live urgently. There are people who are dying, that are lost, that when Jesus comes, they have no hope. Let's go share the message. Be awake. Be alert. Be ready. Stay focused. Stay with the right priorities. Let's go. Amen. Woo, here we go, right? And then he shifts gears, and he talks about inside the body of Christ. He says, but when it comes to the body, I want you to build each other up. And there's two people, two categories of people he tells us to build up. The first one I'm going to breeze through, it's verse 12 and 13. He says this. He says, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and who labor over you in the Lord and admonish you. And to esteem them very highly in love because of the work and be at peace among yourselves. Now he says, the first group I want you to build up is those who labor with you and those who labor over you. So, for example, those of you that are serving and there's other people that serve with you, build those people up. For those of you that are in small groups and you have a teacher of the small group, they're the ones that labor over you. Or our deacons in the church, they labor over you. Or the, or the pastoral team, they labor over you. He says, I want you to build them up. And he tells us how to. He says, I want you to respect them, appreciate them, esteem them, hold them in high regard. Now, why is Paul saying that? Well, because he just sent them Timothy, right? Timothy's now their pastor. And he wants them to make sure that they continue to build him up. Because here's one thing, I mean, listen, especially small group leaders. We have a lot of small group leaders here. And can I just tell those of you that aren't small group leaders, your small group leaders takes a burden home with them every week. The burden home for your heart, your spiritual growth, your faith, and your journey. A burden that, there's, that you cannot explain unless you're actually leading a small group. And the reason I know that about our small group leaders because they love you and they care about you. And we need to continue to build them up. And then he says, I want you to build up those not only that, that, are, that labor with you and over you, but I want you to build up those who are down and out. Look with me what he says here. He says, I want you to admonish the idle, encourage the, the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, so that no one repays evil with evil, but always seek to do good to, to another and to everyone. He says, listen, I want you to build up those who are down now. Now look around the room here. Here's two things you're going to notice. Look around the room. Just look around. Look at somebody. I don't care. Not me. Just somebody else besides me. Okay, here's two things you notice. You ready? Number one, everybody looks good. Amen? If you didn't respond, okay, that's a problem, right? Second thing, everybody looks like everything's okay. Only one of those truths is actually truth, and that's that everybody looks good. The second one is we're not all okay. Can I just tell you, this is a safe place not to be okay, by the way? This is a safe place not to be okay, because I'm not okay. You're not, we're, we're not okay. There are people in this room that are struggling, and Paul says, I want you to build them up, and here's what he says, admonish the idol. You know, admonish means to warn. 
And idle means apathetic, meaning Paul said there are people in the midst of you who have lost their joy, who have lost their passion, and I want you to come alongside them, and I want you to warn them about that. I want you to warn them about their apathy. Now, he's not saying warn them because God's going to get them or God's going to strike them dead, but warning them means you need to warn them that if they continue to live this way, they are making zero impact for the kingdom of God. Some of you today, maybe you've lost your joy and you've lost your passion and you're just going through the motions. Listen, you're making zero impact in the kingdom of God. And as the body of Christ, we need to find those people and we need to warn them. Because listen, the greatest responsibility we have as believers is to impact the kingdom of God by sharing the gospel. He's a modest doubt. Then he says, I want you to encourage the faint-hearted. Now, faint-hearted translates those who are worried or fearful. How many of you are warrior warts in the room? Okay, how many are lying? No, I'm just kidding. So we've got a lot of worry warts, right? I mean, here's the thing. He says, I want you to encourage them. There are people in the room today that worry about everything, that are fearful of everything. I have some anxieties in my life. And he says, listen, what I want you to do is I want you to encourage them. I want you to come alongside them and comfort them and speak confidence into them. Then he says this, and this is my favorite one. Help the weak. Now, weak is not a physical quality. He's talking about those who are fragile in their faith. Help them. The word help should literally be translated to uphold them. He says, I want you to come along those who are fragile in their faith. Those who've suffered loss, those who've suffered tragedy, those who are going through some struggles in their life. Listen, there are people even in this room today that life has happened to them and quite possibly their faith has been rocked. Or they would even say maybe their faith has been shattered. And it's our responsibility as the body of Christ to come alongside them and support them. Right? Isn't that our responsibility? To carry one another's burdens? I think Paul says that in Galatians, right? And then he says this. He says, uh, and I love this one, and this is why we didn't respond a while ago. He said, be patient with them. Don't write them off. Now, who's the them? (laughs) He says, be patient with them. Who's the them? Well, it's those that are apathetic, those that are worried, and those who are fragile in their faith. He says, be patient with them. Now, why would Paul say be patient? And let's just be honest here. Because people who are apathetic... And people who are worry warts are fearful. And people who are struggling or fragile in their faith, they're just messy, right? They're messy and it's time consuming, right? And let's be honest, sometimes those people annoy the daylights out of us. And if we're really going to be honest, come on, let's just all be honest here, they suck the life out of us, don't they? They do. But Paul says be patient with them. See, most of us, because of that, we write those people off. We're like, yeah, I'm just done with you. I can't, I can't deal with your apathy anymore. I can't deal with your worry anymore. I can't deal with the fact you keep saying your faith is fragile. I can't deal with that anymore. And we just write them off. And Paul says, be patient with them. Why? Because the Lord's been patient with us. Do you think the Lord's been patient with me when I had apathy? Do you think the Lord has been patient with me when I had worries and fears in my life? Do you think the Lord is patient with me when I felt my faith got rocked? You better believe it. He says, be patient. And then he says, don't retaliate. Do what's right. He says, don't exchange evil for evil, meaning that there's times in church and there's times in life when you get hurt. And most of us, when we get hurt, we automatically respond, if you get punched on this side, what are you going to do? I don't want to turn the other cheek. I want to step into the punch, right? I mean, it's really what most of us think about. He says, don't do that. You're going to be hurt in life. And here's the worst part. You're going to be hurt in church. People in church are going to hurt you. But instead of retaliating, do what is right. You know what is right? Listen to me. You know what's right? Forgiveness. That's what's right. Forgive. But duck. No, 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 no. But ducks. 
no but ducks, forgiveness. And you don't care what forgiveness is. It's canceling the debt, not leveraging it over them, canceling. When people hurt you, the right thing to do is to forgive. And Paul says, I want you to build one another up. I want you to build up those who are apathetic. I want you to build up those who worry. I want you to build up those who are fragile in their faith. I want you to build up those who annoy the daylights out of you. And I want you to build up those who hurt you over and over again. I want you to build them up. And then there's a third challenge I want to just close with is this. He says, I want you to live empowered by the Holy Spirit. Look at me in verse 16. It says this. Verse 16. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise the prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now, when you look at what Paul says, and as I was studying this several weeks ago, and I read that, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Here was my spiritual response. Paul's crazy. Paul has lost his mind. Because, listen, when you think about that and then you think about the life we live, are those easy things to do? Is it always easy to rejoice? Is it always easy to be in a mindset of prayer? Is it always easy to give thanks when life has fallen? Is it easy to do that? No. So how do we do that? Only when we live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit. Only when we live a life yielded to the Holy Spirit in us, going, Lord, I can't do this. I need you. For example, he says rejoice always. That word rejoice means to be well with, that we're okay with it, to be glad. Okay, so if I, if I live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit, can I be glad in all situations? Can I be well with all situations? Can I rejoice? Yeah, you know why? Because when I live empowered by the Holy Spirit, I'm reminded that my joy doesn't come in my circumstances. My joy comes in the Lord, right? It's knowing that I can be in the deepest, darkest tunnel of my life, and God has provided a way out for me. That's joy. Most of us want happiness. God wants us to have joy. A joy that is unshakable joy. A joy that is unspeakable. But my joy doesn't come from my circumstances. It comes from him. And when I live a life empowered by the Holy Spirit, I can rejoice always. And then he says pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean be praying all the time. It means to always be in a mindset of prayer. It means every time something comes along your way in your day, you just keep taking it to God. You just take it to God. God, would you help me at my work? God, would you help me with my coworker? God, would you help me with my finances? God, would you help me with my car? God, would you help me with my marriage? God, would you help me with my kids? I mean, every time something comes up, we just keep taking it to God. We just keep taking it to God. We just keep taking it to God. The writer of Proverbs in chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 was right when he said, lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your paths what? Straight. Meaning, don't lean on your own wisdom. You know why? Because you don't have any. You don't have any. Your best day and your best thoughts and your best experiences still come failing. They still fall short. He said, don't lean on your wisdom, but always the knowledge. Him knows all your ways. Go, God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you. God, I need you. And then the promise is this, clarity. God will make our paths, what? Straight. And the only way I'm going to live a life where I pray without ceasing is if I live a life yielded to the Holy Spirit. And then he says, give thanks in all circumstances. And this is the one that really has bothered me. Because I'm going to tell you, I have sat in a hospital room with a man who loved the Lord with his wife, Donna, and his two daughters, four-year-old and two-year-old, who thought had shin splints but actually had bone cancer. And I sat in the room, and it was right there when he passed away. And I sat in a room and watched the daughters weep and the wife fall apart. And I'm like, okay, Paul, you want me to give thanks for that one? 
I've sat in the room when people, when husbands and wives have lost children or had miscarriage. I mean, I've sat in those rooms, and some of you sat in those rooms, and I'm okay, Paul, can I give thanks in that because that, I, don't, I don't get that, Paul. Well, listen, I can't th- be thankful for those things if I'm not living a life yielded to the Holy Spirit. Because when I live a life yielded to the Holy Spirit, I'm reminded that my gratitude is not for the circumstance. My gratitude is for God, for his presence, his peace, and his provision in my life. See, I can give thanks and I can have gratitude in all those situations because God is with me, because God is present, and God is providing, and God brings peace when there can be no peace to be found. My gratitude comes in him. Amen? Amen? And some of you know that all too well. Then he says this, lastly, embrace and live by the truth. Embrace and live by the truth. Look at me, verse 19 through 22. He says, do not quench the spirit, do not despise the prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. He says, first of all, don't, stifle, don't, don't quench the Holy Spirit, which means don't stifle the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Some of you have been nudged by the Holy Spirit to do something in your life, and you're ignoring it. And Paul says, don't do that. Don't quench the Holy Spirit. If God is moving in your life, the Holy Spirit is moving. Respond to him embrace that live by the truth don't neglect the holy spirit and then he says don't hate or despise the 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 prophecies meaning don't disregard and minimize the value of scripture it matters to us and then he says cling to what is good and abstain from every evil form in other words cling to the truth of god's word now here i've said this before and i'm gonna say it again this book has been is and always will be the sole authority for how we live our lives This is the book that is our guide to how to love God and how to love people. This book is the guide for how we're to do what God has called us to do, which is build lives that matter by leading people into a growing relationship with Christ. This book is my authority for how I live my life. Why? Because this is the very breath of God. And this book tells me that I need to embrace it and cling to it and live by it. And the only way I'm going to do that, listen, the only way I'm going to take God's word and make it part of my life and live by it is if I truly am living a life empowered by the Holy Spirit, living a life yielded to him. So here's the deal. As we close this morning, as we look at this passage, this is how we're to live in the meantime. As we think about, okay, we know the Lord's coming, but how do we live in the now? How do we live in the meantime? Paul tells us right here. And here's my question for all of us. How good are we doing? Come on, look at me, look at me. How good are we doing? Are we living with urgency, awake, alert, ready, ready to share the gospel, ready to get the only message out that could change? I mean, are we living with that kind of urgency? Or are we like, you know what, Doug? And I've had people say this. You know what, Doug? God, God just hasn't given me opportunities. Well, listen to me. Opportunity is not the problem. It's availability is the problem. That's the problem. There's opportunities everywhere, every day. But are we available or not? So how well are we doing with urgency? Or how well are we doing with building people up? Now, one thing I want you to know about me that I'm trying to change in my life is this. I'm a pretty linear guy. So I'm going from point A to point B, and my goal from going to point A to point B is to get to point B and to make as little stops along the way. Because guess what? I need to get to point B. Now, with that comes blinders. And with that comes me not noticing people. And with that comes me kind of being oblivious to things around me. That's a terrible quality to have, by the way. 
And what I know I need to lurk on is the fact that I, I want to build other people up. I want to not just look at them and go, man, they look like they got everything together. They're good. But look at their eyes and look at their actions and listen to not as much what they say, but what they don't say and realize they're struggling and it's my job to build them up. It's my job to help those who are apathetic. It's my job to help those whose faith is fragile and falling apart. How well are we doing with that? And the last one, how well are we doing living a life empowered by the Holy Spirit? Many of you would say, you know what, I'm doing life on my own. I got this. And what you find out is, you don't have it. It's still falling apart. And we need the Holy Spirit in us to guide us, direct us, and give us wisdom. And maybe today, you need to say, you know what, Lord? I'm not doing too good here. So, first of all, examine your heart. As an invitation today, here's my first cry to you is to examine your heart. Ask yourself, how well am I doing? Second of all, make a new commitment to the Lord. Maybe when it comes to urgency, say, Lord, I'm not as urgent as I ought to be, but I want to be. Or, Lord, when it comes to building people up, I, I, I'm not, I don't do that as much as I should, so give me the eyes of Jesus so that I can see people the way that he saw people. Or maybe, Lord, I'm trying to do life on my own, but I need your Holy Spirit to overwhelm me, and I, I promise to yield to his leadership in my life. Here's what I'm asking you. Listen to me. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, here's what I'm asking you today. Would you take a moment and examine your heart? Say, how well am I doing? And then would you make a new commitment to the Lord? Whatever area you struggle with, this altar is going to be open in a moment. I'm going to ask you to come and kneel down and pray and just make a new commitment to the Lord. But if you're here today and you say this, Doug, okay, when that day the Lord comes, I'm not going to be ready for that. I don't know that I have something more. Well, listen to me. Hear my heart. If you don't have something more, that day's not going to go well for you. That day's going to be day of eternal separation. But listen, it doesn't have to be that way. All that takes on your part is acknowledging that you're a sinner, that you've said things, done things, thought things that was a rebellion against God, and that you believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, and that you want him to forgive you of your sins and invite him to be the Lord and the Savior of your life. If you will confess that the Bible says, if you confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And if you don't know where you're going to spend eternity, if you don't know that you have something more, today would you just cry that out to him? Who am I going to ask you to do? I'm going to ask everybody to stand with me. Everybody stand up if you would. Everybody stand with me. I'm going to ask every head to be bowed and every eye to be closed. Every head bowed and eyes to be closed. And if you're a believer today, the, 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 the invitation is simple. Examine your hearts. Examine your hearts and make a new commitment to the Lord. And if you don't know Christ today, would you just declare what I said a moment ago? Would you just give your life to Christ and say yes to him? I know you don't understand all what that means, but would you do that? I'm going to ask some of our deacons to go ahead and come on up front because they're going to be here to receive you, talk to you, pray with you. For our deacons and wives, if you guys could just make it up front, that would be fantastic today. Just slide up to the front. If you need somebody to talk to, they're here. If you need to pray, this altar is open. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I love you. I thank you for today. I thank you for your grace and your love for us. And I just pray today that as we, as, we, as we come into the space, that we be reminded that as believers, we're to live with urgency. We're to live to build others up. And we are to live to be empowered by your Holy Spirit. May we do that. And wherever we struggle, Lord, may we confess that. May we make a new commitment to you. And Father, for those who don't know you, may they make that declaration a while ago. May they leave here today knowing that they now have something more. They now have a relationship with Jesus Christ. God, would you just be with us? Would you move in this place? For it's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen.
Amen. You respond as you feel led.